Welcome to the Cranberry Chronicles, a podcast where we'll be discussing all things cranberries, including where they come from, why we love them, and how they love us back. We'll be delivering a fresh science perspective on health, wellness, and nutrition trends translated into a language we can all use. We're so excited to be sitting down with a variety of food, health, and industry experts for in-depth conversations that we hope will enhance the work you do and that it will also inspire you to live a healthier life. So whether you're a registered dietitian, a health professional, a wellness enthusiast, or just a cranberry connoisseur, we welcome you. I'm your host, Bonnie Taub Dix, and you'll find me on Instagram at Bonnie Taub Dix and at BTD Media or my website, betterthandieting.com. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into all things related to UTIs. I am so excited to have our esteemed guest with us, Dr. Bilal Changtai. Dr. Changtai is an award-winning urologist based in New York City. He is also an associate professor of urology and obstetrics and gynecology at Weill Cornell Medicine, and an associate attending urologist at New York Presbyterian Hospital. He specializes in voiding dysfunction, female urology, and neurourology. And prior to his arrival at Wild Cornell New York Presbyterian, he did his residency in general surgery and urology at Albany Medical Center, followed by a fellowship in female urology, neurourology, and voiding dysfunction at Weill Cornell Medical Center and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He earned his Doctor of Medicine at State University of New York at Stony Brook after graduating magna cum laude from New York University with a major in biological sciences. Dr. Chung Tai is also an active researcher. He has served as primary and co-investigator in numerous studies, published over 160 peer-reviewed articles authored chapters and books, and has presented at numerous prestigious national meetings. Wow. I am so thankful that you were able to take the time to chat with us today, and I have so many questions for you. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate all that you have done, and we can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, thank you for having me. You know, although some people listening may have never had a UTI, the majority of us have suffered from them. Although all sexes get UTIs, research shows that more than 50% of women will have a UTI in their lifetime, with about a third of women needing antibiotic treatment for them before they even turn the age of 24. So today we'll break down what a UTI is, why we get them, how to treat them, and most importantly, really, how to prevent them. So tell us, first of all, what is a UTI? Uh, so let me say UTI is a urinary tract infection. So basically that is a infection involving the genital urinary tract, um, anything from the urethra and uh, bladder, right? Now, let me get into more complex uh, infections of the genital urinary tract. It can also include the kidneys, which is called pyelonephritis. Now that's a pretty rare occurrence from urinary tract infections. It happens around 4% of the time. But the most common thing that we talk about when you say urinary tract infection is that there's a bacterial infection into the wall of the bladder or urethra causing cystitis or inflammation of the bladder, which gives us those symptoms like urgency, frequency, burning, blood in the urine. So what causes them? Like, how do we get them? 
great question. So, so the answer is that bacteria is ever present all over our body, right? All the way from our skin, our mouths, it exists within the bladder itself and urethra. But when those bacteria, certain bacteria, such as E. coli being the most common bacteria for urinary tract infection, invades the bladder wall, it can lead to an inflammatory reaction. It's kind of like getting a cold, right? And so basically our body reacts to viruses in the nasal tract and we get those sneezing, runny nose, et cetera. And it's sort of like the bladder react in the same way. It's trying to get rid of that bacteria. So it reacts by giving us more frequent urination, urgency to urinate, possibly even leakage of urine. And and that's how the body reacts and tries to get rid of that infection on its own. Hmm. It's really interesting because I think that a lot of people who have not had UTIs don't know the symptoms to look for. In fact, even for myself, many years ago, I had a UTI and I also had backache and I thought that my back hurt because I went to the gym and I did too much. And as it turned out that night, I had a very high fever. I really got so sick. So I think that what's important, and we'll we'll talk more about this as we go on, but if there is someone who has even slight symptoms of what they think might be a UTI, it's really important to catch it early, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, you want to know that obviously the first thing is recognition of what the condition you have is. A lot of infections may actually go away on their own, but obviously if left untreated, sometimes they can progress and get a lot worse. In addition to that, obviously the infection as it progresses can cause worsening symptoms and make it sort of unbearable. Is there a certain group that is more likely to get a UTI, let's say within a certain age group, more likely to get one? And also, what about men? I mean, we usually think, as I mentioned in the intro, about women getting UTIs, but I know that a lot of men are troubled with the same issues, perhaps for different reasons. But could you just tell us a little bit about age group and gender? Yeah. So when it comes to uh, urinary tract infections, they occur in both men and women. So in men, they usually occur in infants. Baby boys are more likely to get urinary tract infections. And then when men get a lot older and they have an enlarged prostate and their bladder is not able to empty, that's the other time when men tend to get infections again. Now, women get infections. It can start occurring typically with sexual activity. So around 20s to 30s, very commonly seen. And then also when women become postmenopausal, they become more at risk for urinary tract infections. And what happens in the postmenopausal state is that when you have that loss of estrogen, the loss of estrogen leads to vaginal dryness, a change to the vaginal pH, which changes the bacteria that's normally present in the vagina that's protective to prevent urinary tract infections. So interesting. And interesting how the the possibility of getting one actually changes through the life cycle. I think that's so interesting about infancy. I didn't know that. You know, I know that antibiotics are often relied upon to treat UTIs. So what does that kind of treatment plan look like? And is there a certain type of antibiotic that would be used more readily for a UTI? The best way to put antibiotics is that they are a double-edged sword. So they're the best treatment for urinary tract infections. But at the same time, no antibiotic or any treatment we do in medicine isn't without risk. So if we think of an antibiotic, some of them are known to treat infections very quickly, but some of them can cause tendon problems, muscle problems, heart issues. Some can even cause skin issues and others can cause vaginal infections, infections of the GI tract causing diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. So we want to be careful who we give antibiotics to, one. 
And two, we want to minimize what we call collateral damage, right? So we want to give the most narrow spectrum antibiotic and the shortest course possible to treat the infection without over-treating patients. And the other thing about oral antibiotics is that there's only a given number out there right now. And there isn't this huge plethora of other antibiotics available. So as a result, if the bacteria that's in your body is resistant to a lot of antibiotics, we may run out of oral options and these patients need to get IV antibiotics then. Yeah, so I have so many questions to ask you about this in terms of resistance. So if someone has repeated UTIs, because I know that there are many people, many patients that I have taken care of that get UTIs regularly, I think regularly is considered to be maybe four times a year. Is that what regularly is? The definition of recurrent urinary tract infection is greater than two infections in six months or greater than three infections in one year. Well, okay. So if someone needs to be treated with antibiotics, then they can become antibiotic resistant where even if they're taking those medications that they may not even react well to them, it may not help them. Is that correct? So so we don't become resistant. It's the bacteria that becomes resistant. So every time we're exposed to antibiotics, the antibiotics go all over our bodies. And when it goes all over our bodies, all the bacteria that are affected by that antibiotic change, and only the bacteria that is resistant to that antibiotic survives. So as we get exposed to more and more antibiotics, the bacteria becomes more resistant to the uh, antibiotics available. But there are some antibiotics that have very high concentration in the urine, and they tend to have less resistance to bugs, mainly because of the fact that they don't get stuck in the body. And those are antibiotics like nitroferritoin and phospholmycin. They have very high concentrations in urine, but very low concentration in tissue. So as a result, those tend to be very common antibiotics that we use for urine tract infections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know that when you take antibiotics, it might be a good idea to take probiotics. What about the importance of probiotics, perhaps as a prophylactic type of treatment uh, so that you could help to replenish good bacteria in the gut, but does it help at all with urinary tract infections as a preventative measure? That's an excellent question. Unfortunately, when it comes to urinary tract infections, studies are actually pretty hard to do. And the reason why these studies are hard to do is that you know, what defines a urinary tract infection? So it's defined by a positive urine culture, meaning that someone took the bacteria, grew it onto a culture medium, and we confirmed that there was greater than 100,000 of those bugs. And in addition to that, they have a constellation of symptoms of urgency, frequency, burning, or suprapubic pain, right? Now, what'll happen is that when you talk about things like probiotics, it makes total sense. If you have more good bacteria, you should have less bad bacteria that causes these infections. Now, there have been some small studies done that show probiotics work almost as well as antibiotics. But at the same time, you know, there's other questions of what is the right probiotic? There's also variability in the different probiotics available. And when we talk about the supplement market, the supplement market's hard because it's not really well regulated. So there's some very high quality supplements out there, right? And there's also very low quality supplements out there, but no one's really regulating that what's on the label of the bottle matches what's in the bottle. Yeah, I know. It's such a problem. And I think it's really something that so many people don't really know or understand, and they're just popping lots of supplements without knowing what they're taking. I wonder also if you're the kind of person that takes probiotics on a regular basis and then you do have a urinary tract infection and then take a different probiotic, Does that would that be more helpful to switch up to your probiotic? Or 
We don't know, right? Un- unfortunately, the answer is we don't know. And it's a hard situation because like, if you've ever had a urinary tract infection, you know how debilitating it can be. It leaves you sort of unable to work, unable to do your activities of daily life. So, you know, a lot of times patients get very desperate. They want to try a variety of things and efforts of what can I do to prevent the next infection? And a lot of times there isn't a lot that could be done. I mean, in terms of like, there are things that seem to be helpful and there's data that points at things like cranberry, uh, you know, for sure. And, and the Cochrane Review now reflects that. Probiotics seem very logical, and there's some smaller studies that show that probiotics can be very helpful as well. But again, we don't have good answers in terms of what is the right probiotic. Like, do you need how many strains of which bacteria? So the Cochrane Review is actually a very high quality review of all the peer-reviewed literature, looking at all the trials for a variety of things. And one of the ones that they made recently was the one for cranberry. And what they found is that when you look at the data for all the cranberry studies out there related to urinary tract infection, it seems that cranberry is likely helpful for those who have recurrent infections. They didn't make a huge comment on what's the number of correct number of packs, et cetera. In other words, like there's active component of cranberries, but it does seem like high quality cranberry typically has a high number of PACs and PACs is the compound that prevents the binding of the bacteria to the bladder wall. So interesting. And, you know, I just read another article really just yesterday about the use of D-mannose supplements when it comes to treating UTIs and not just using it alone, but using it in conjunction with cranberry juice or cranberry supplements. And I know that as with all of this stuff, more research needs to be done, but it did sound kind of promising. Do you have any any thoughts about D-mannose? Again, I think D-mannose has some, again, the mechanism behind it is that it prevents the fimbria, which is the little legs of the bacteria from binding. And uh, D-mannose, uh, you know, in theory, we don't know exactly where it works because it being a sugar, it's hard for it to make its way to the bladder, but it potentially works in the gut, right? And in the gut, it prevents the bad bacteria from sticking to the urothelium or the wall of the bladder. So in theory, I mean, it could be very helpful. Again, the data on it is very preliminary, uh, very small studies. But, you know, what I usually tell patients is that I have some patients who tell me they've been taking it and they've had long stretches of not having infections. And I'm like, if it works for you, that's wonderful. I just don't have great data to support it. So one of the things I've always been a big proponent of is that I think there's areas that we know a lot of information. There's areas we don't know a lot of information. Right now, we've got a fair number of information on cranberry. So I do recommend cranberry to my patients. But when it comes to D-mannose, I tell patients like, we don't have great data on it yet. And as we get more and more data, we're going to figure out where it plays a role. Like, for example, does D-mannose make sense to take prophylactically all the time? Is D-mannose something you take when you think you're about to have an infection? Uh, it's, it's a great question of when and how it should be taken. Yeah, and I guess maybe more in terms of those people that have recurrent infections, like would you recommend it more for someone like that as opposed to just the average person who gets a UTI? Well, the, the way I tend to recommend things is that there's some things that have good data to support it. Like, for example, if you look at hydration, we know that those who have more than four glasses of water a day have less infection than those who don't have four glasses of water a day. So that's an easy change for for most people. I mean, for some people who have jobs where it's hard to get to a bathroom, that might be a harder change to make. That's usually a recommendation I make very early. I tell patients about the role of cranberry and D-mannose. I tell them about it and what the data shows. But ultimately, I I try to do it in a very stepwise fashion. We'll try one thing, see what it does for you, add on more, or take away things that aren't helpful. 
I just wanted to go back to something you said before we were talking about different ages. And I was just wondering if the treatment or advice you might give would look different for someone who is younger versus someone who's older in terms of the prevention or treatment of UTIs. Yeah. So when it comes to younger females who are sexually active, some of them can have what's called post-coital or post-sex infections. And for those patients, typically we talk about things like urinating post-sexual activity and even the role of taking a low-dose antibiotic post-sex to help reduce the risk of infections. With women who are perimenopausal or menopausal, we might even talk about the role of topical estrogens in efforts of rejuvenating the vaginal area and reducing its pH and making it more moist, therefore to undo the um, microbiome changes that occur with aging. And that helps reduce the risk of infections as well. And, you know, speaking of age, I have a little granddaughter and who is now being potty trained and we're teaching her about wiping from front to back. Do you give advice about that? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Is that helpful? I mean, it seems logical, right, that we want to take bacteria, which is sort of a cleaner area, like from the front of the vaginal area towards back and towards the perineum and rectum. It's very logical. I mean, but we don't have great studies to say, hey, we took a bunch of women, had them wipe back to front and a bunch of women in front to back and sort of see if there's a difference in the number of infections. I think some things seem logical and, and it makes sense. But I also try to make it like, you know, sometimes when patients come in having infections, sometimes they come in blaming themselves, being like, well, I've done everything. Like I'm, I am I shower every day. I wipe front to back. I do this. I do that. And I want to be clear that you didn't do this. It wasn't something that you did. It's sort of like there's some genetic factors that we just simply cannot change. Like, for example, the distance between the urethra, which is the hole which we urinate from, and the rectum, right? Some women are born with a shorter distance between the two, so they're at higher risk for infections. But there's nothing we can do to change that anatomical relationship. And there's other people who have just stickier urotheliums. In other words, their skin of the urethra and bladder is just stickier than others. So they're more at risk for infection, and it's not hygiene. So I want to be clear that it isn't anything that a patient does that causes the infection. And this way, that it gets away from this idea of like blaming yourself that you somehow caused it. Like it doesn't come from dirty toilet seats or anything like that. I think that that's just fascinating because I think that people have a tendency to blame themselves for a lot of things. What did I do? I could have done this better. And I have never heard anyone say what you just said, you know, in terms of not blaming yourself. I mean, I have heard so many different reasons for why someone thinks they got a UTI. You know, they didn't have the right underwear on. I've heard of all of it. By the way, is there any truth to that? Cotton undies versus not? Well, what gets complicated is that now we're talking about urinary tract infections, right? So we've already made the diagnosis that it's a bacterial infection of the bladder. But the problem is there's a lot of things that mimic urinary tract infections. There's conditions where you can just get general cystitis, like your bladder can be inflamed and angry, and it'll give you the symptoms that feel like an infection. There's others who can have vaginal infections that will feel just like an infection as well. And they can be overactive bladder, which gives you urgency, frequency, even leakage of urine. And sometimes these patients are being misdiagnosed for even years before we come up with the fact that they have an alternate diagnosis and they were treated as recurrent urinary tract infections. So, so it's very important that if, if someone's being diagnosed with recurrent infections, that they get an evaluation from a urologist or a urogynecologist to make sure there isn't something else going on too. 
Yeah, that was the next question that I had to ask you is if you do suspect something, should you be going to your gynecologist? Should you be going to a urologist? Who who do you go to? And when you go there, what are they going to do? Just so that people know, you know, not to be afraid to get checked out for this issue. Yeah, so, so usually we start off with pretty straightforward things. Like, for example, a history, like I think is probably one of the most important things, figuring out, does a patient have an infection? Because sometimes I'll see patients and they tell me, I've had recurrent infections, I get one a month, and I've been having this has been happening for years. And then you go, okay, great, let me look at your chart or show me, you know, sometimes people come with a stack of paper that's like very high, like a foot of paper, right? And you go through this chart and all of a sudden there isn't a single urine test in there but they've been treated with the antibiotics every single time. So one of the first things we start off with is just simply getting an anal- a urine analysis, which is basically dipping a reagent into the urine to come up with what is the pH, what is the presence of white blood cells, red blood cells, blood in the urine, and figure out if they truly have an infection, and also a urine culture. Those things are actually very helpful just to figure out where patients are. The second thing is a physical exam. Sometimes you'll do a pelvic floor physical exam and you'll see these women who've got a lot of atrophy to the vaginal area. And basically, once you have the skin that's raw and irritated, you have to remember that what is urine, right? Urine is basically the waste product of our body. So it's essentially like salt water and you put it onto irritated skin of the vagina. It hurts. It hurts a lot. And these women sometimes would benefit from either steroid creams or topical estrogens. And all of a sudden their infections get go away and they'd feel a lot better. So an exam is a very, very important part of it. Typically, if you're going to see a urogynecologist and a urologist, they may also even do an ultrasound of the pelvis to make sure the bladder's emptying well. And as a urologist, what other conditions do you treat? In women, I do a lot of incontinence. So I treat what's called stress incontinence, leakage with cough, laugh, sneeze. I treat overactive bladder or urge incontinence, leakage that occurs on the way to the bathroom. I also treat pelvic organ prolapse, which is the herniation of the abdominal organs through the vaginal area. In men, I treat enlarged prostate, and I also treat incontinence or leakage in men as well. And if someone did have incontinence and they had to wear adult diapers, if that's what they're called now, does that put them at risk, a greater chance of getting UTIs? Again, we don't have great data to show that staying in a soiled undergarment would lead to higher risk of infections. But it makes sense that obviously if there's something sitting against the vagina that's full of bacteria, would that lead to potential infections? It's it's possible. And you can end up having skin irritation, skin breakdown. So it does make sense to change those garments on a frequent interval. And of course, just changing roads here as a dietitian, I always think about the foods that we could eat that might help to prevent certain conditions. Are there any foods in particular that you think might help in the prevention of UTIs? And um, perhaps maybe they're even the same foods that have a lot to do with gut health. What's your opinion about that? I think you just said it perfectly. I think what's probably good for your gut is probably good for your bladder, right? So in other words, foods that are enriched in probiotics, right? Like in other words, We can sit here and talk about pills, right? But we don't know what's in the pill. What defines a high quality versus a low quality supplement? I mean, there are certain groups that do verify what's in the capsules, but it's not done that well. But all of us can say yogurt is yogurt, right? (laughs) And as a result, we know that it's high in probiotics. It's a good source of protein, low in fat. So there are things that naturally would be helpful for the bladder as well. I think water hydration is very helpful as well. There are certain things that, you know, if you think about it, if the bladder got irritated from some bacteria, 
you want to soothe the bladder. So you want to avoid things like caffeine, spicy foods, acidic foods, because it may make the UTI symptoms come back or maybe feel even slightly worse because the bladder is already irritated and those foods are known to irritate the bladder further. And also foods like obviously cranberries, also fermented foods, you would include those on your list as well? Again, it's within reason, right? Like so some people can be very sensitive to certain foods and certain drinks and some people are not. And my, my goal is not to take away a healthy diet from someone, but at the same time, like, you know, we would try to limit the amount of acidity that they would, they would intake. My last question for you is a question that we love to ask our guests is what is your favorite way to enjoy cranberries? Uh, so I've always liked craisins. Whenever I make salads, um, I always add craisins to it. So I like that. And the second thing is I think you hit the drink really well. So a small amount of cranberry juice with sparkling water. So I love sparkling water. And sometimes I want a little bit of flavor to it. I think cranberry is a great way to do it. I love that. I agree with you. And I know you did mention cocktails, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we go? No, I think you covered the issue really well. For women and men who are suffering from recurrent infections, I do think that it's important to be in the hands of a medical professional, a urologist, urogynecologist, that can help sort of figure out what is happening and also figure out potential solutions for it. So a lot of times you don't have to live with this condition, but sometimes there are good solutions out there as well. Yes, I totally agree. So where can people find you? So I currently practice at Cornell. My office is on 61st in York. This is where my office is and I operate out of New York Presbyterian Hospital. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. And I, I hope we cross paths again. And thank you so much for joining us today on the Cranberry Chronicles. Thank you for including me. Sponsored by the Cranberry Institute, it's a not-for-profit organization founded in 1951 to further the success of cranberry growers and the industry in the Americas through health, agricultural, and environmental stewardship research, as well as cranberry promotion and education. Thank you again so much for listening and for sharing your time with us.